Hi, I'm Barney Schwenke, the pastor here of Faithway Baptist Church in Leesburg. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to watch this sermon video we're about to show you. My prayer is that God will use this message, along with you being part of a local Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church, to help you grow in your walk with the Lord. Trust that the following message will be a blessing to your heart. If you have your Bibles this morning, we are in 2 Timothy, chapter number 1. We are beginning a series together that's hopefully going to last about seven or eight weeks, depending on how long the outline goes. And we are going to look at this book, 2 Timothy. If you were with us back in 2017, we took a look at, on Sunday mornings, the book of 1 Timothy. And I wanted to make sure we came back to this book because it is a powerful letter and almost every single verse could stand alone by itself. And this is Paul's letter that he wrote to his son in the faith, Timothy. Now, I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to mentor someone, maybe spiritually, maybe on the job front, maybe God's blessed you with children, and uh, you realize as a parent, your job is to mentor your child, your children, to raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But when, when you work with someone and you teach them and you disciple them and every day in and day out and you're with them, and they do something that is amazing, or they just reach a certain plateau, or they get an award, or they get a prize, or something like that, man, your heart leaps inside of you, right? I mean, I know the first time that I saw my kids play in church or sing in church is when they were really little, and that's my kid up there, right? And then I see your kids, like, eh, okay, whatever. It's not that big a deal, but when it's my kid, it really means something. And, you know, I am thankful that I've had the opportunity to work with many of you and help you grow in your walk with the Lord. But the only reason I can do that, though, is because someone took time to invest in my life. I had godly parents. I had a godly youth pastor. I had a pastor who preached God's word. I had people that I could call and talk life through, and I'm thankful for them. And so when we have that opportunity to mentor someone, it's something I would challenge you to do, accept that call. And that's what Paul did with Timothy. Timothy was his son in the faith. Now, just a little bit of background. I don't know if you've had the opportunity to watch the video that we sent out in the app this week. It was put together by a group called The Bible Project, and it's actually really fascinating. They've, they've done a video for every one of the books of the Bible. So there's 66 books of the Bible that's up there on YouTube, and you can go ahead and you can watch, and literally they break down this entire book. If you have not watched it yet, we played it before the service this morning, and we'll probably play it on the loop after the service as well. But please take some time to sit down and watch that video because it's going to give you a holistic view of 2 Timothy. And so when I preach to you on a Sunday morning and we take the first seven verses like we will this morning, uh, that's one thing. But if you understand the entire context of the book, it makes a whole lot more sense. And it's going to be, make my job as a pastor a whole lot easier. So please go and watch that video if you haven't done so yet. And if you have, you'll be able to understand a little bit more of where we are coming from. But just by way of introduction to the book of 2 Timothy... As we note from the, 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 the title of this book, this is Paul's second letter to Timothy, his son in the faith. This is the last book of the, the, the New Testament that was written by the Apostle Paul. The book of Revelation, obviously, was written later on in AD 90, but this was written in AD 66. And history records the book of Acts. So we have um, the, the, the fifth book of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And then the book of Acts is literally a history book of the early church. The history book of the early church, the book of Acts of the Apostles, ends in AD 60. 
So six years after what the events of Acts chapter 6 take place, or Acts, the book of Acts takes place, six years later, we have Paul writing this letter. Well, what's going on in that six-year period? We don't know. There's some church tradition, and there's some things that we're going to glean from the Bible, from the letters of the Apostle Paul that were written after the book of Acts. But what we do know, what we believe happened, is that when the Apostle Paul, when the book of, of Acts was closed, Paul was sitting in prison in house arrest. Basically, he was in an apartment-type deal where he had to pay for his own accommodations, and he would have a soldier that would be chained to him or outside of his house, but it wasn't like he was in a, a dungeon cell when the book of Acts was closed. And, and what we can piece together is, after Paul was in prison for a period of time in Rome under house arrest, he was released, we believe, and he visited Ephesus. Turn in a couple of pages back to the left in your Bible, 1 Timothy. I want you to look at verse number 1. Paul said, And I besought thee, 1 Timothy chapter 1, actually verse 3, I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went to Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. So Paul left Timothy. This is 1 Timothy was written to Timothy as well. Paul left Timothy behind in Ephesus. He said, I want you to stay there and run the work of the church. Now, turn back a few, or that's where you're at in 1 Timothy. I want you to turn, 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus, turn a couple of pages to your right now. Just one book after 2 Timothy is the little book of Titus. So Paul left Timothy behind in Ephesus to do the work of the ministry there. And then he goes on to Macedonia, which is northern Greece, where he writes his first letter to Timothy. After he leaves Macedonia, he went to the island of Crete, and he left Titus in charge there. Titus chapter 1, verse number 5, he says, For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city. His next stop, if you look at Titus chapter 3, in verse number 12, the apostle Paul says, when I shall send Artemis unto thee, or Tychius, to be diligent to come unto me in Nicopolis, for I have determined there to winter. So he goes to southern Greece, which is Nicopolis there, and that's where he writes this letter to Titus. Now, we're not sure whether Paul met Titus in Nicopolis or not, but we, knew, we do know that Titus would go on to Dalmatia, and that's in modern-day Serbia, and when he got to Dalmatia, he would raise 101 dogs, right? No, I'm just kidding. All right, some of you got that. All right. But he, Titus would go on to Dalmatia in Serbia, and that was the, that's what the, the Apostle Paul, that's how they did things back then. They would go here, 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 and they would start churches, and they would raise people up and disciple people like Timothy and Titus. And Paul would say, okay, I've mentored you long enough. You're the pastor now. Now, it's not like they had seminary training for years and years and years. No. We think Paul knew Timothy for maybe one to three years. That's not a lot of time, per se, as far as length of days goes. But when you're living day in and day out with the greatest preacher of all time, he's mentoring you and he's helping you. He taught, evidently, he felt confident that Titus and Timothy were ready to preach the gospel. All right, you're in Titus. Turn back a couple of pages now to 2 Timothy chapter number 1. All right, we know late from 2 Timothy chapter 4 that Paul would go on to Troas he was arrested in Troas, and when he was rearrested this time, he was sent to Rome, and he was imprisoned. However, this time he was imprisoned, he was not in, under house arrest. 
No, he was in shackles and chains. We believe that he was in what was called the Mamertine prison. And if you ever go to Rome, the Mamertine prison still exists today. It's a place that you can go and visit. It's not on a lot of the tourist maps per se, but it's a great place to go and visit. And so when Paul was there in the Mamertine prison, that is where he writes the second letter to Timothy from. He would be then tried and he would then be led out to, after his trial, he would be led out on a road called the Ostian Way. The road was part of, uh, the, you ever heard all roads lead to Rome, that phrase? Okay, the Romans had this amazing network of roads that would go all over the Roman Empire. And the Ostian Way was one of the roads out of the city of Rome that would go towards the Ostian Bay. That's where it got the name from, the Ostian Way. And it headed west from Rome. And so according to church tradition, Paul was brought from Troas. He was arrested, sent to the Mamertine prison. He writes this letter to Timothy. And shortly thereafter, under the Rome, under the rule rather of Nero, Paul is executed on the Ostian Way. We believe his death happened somewhere between the year 66 and 67. And so we place the, the date of 2 Timothy at AD 66. This is the final letter that we have from the Apostle Paul. Now, how was Paul executed? How did he die? We don't know per se, but I want you to see what Fox's Book of Martyrs, which is the authority on how the, I mean, it's, it's really, I guess, the, the best authority that we have on the early church fathers, how they say the Apostle Paul died. Paul the Apostle, who before was called Saul, this is a quote from the book, after his great travail and unspeakable labors in promoting the gospel of Christ, suffered also this first, first persecution under Nero. Um, Abdias declared under his execution, Nero uh, declared that under his execution, Nero sent two of his esquires, his lawyers, Farago and Parthamius, to bring him word of his death. They, coming to Paul, instructing the people, uh, so Paul was teaching, desired him to pray for them that they might believe. Paul told them that shortly after they should believe and be baptized at his sepulcher. This done, the soldiers came and led Paul out of the city to the place of execution, where Paul, after his prayers were made, gave his neck to the sword. Here's a detailed account from A.T. Robertson. He's a, he's a Greek scholar, and he said this, The details of Paul's death, they are wanting. Tradition supplies only a few, which may be true or maybe not. The story is that Paul was beheaded on the Ostian Road. In Rome, it was customary for criminals of prominence to be executed several miles out of the city to avoid the crowds. We may picture the event as a pos in this possible manner. One day in late spring or early June, the executioners came to Paul's dungeon and led him out of the city. One is reminded of Jesus as he bore his cross along the Via Della Rosa. Paul, as a condemned criminal, would be the victim of a rabble sport. He would have no defender. We do not know if Luke was with Paul at this very last. We may at least hope so. If he could, he would surely walk along as near to Paul as would be allowed. But no band of Christians followed him now. He was going out of Rome on his way to the true eternal city. He knew Rome well, but his eyes were fixed on other things. Outside of the city, the busy, merry life of time went on. The crowds flowed into town, some going out. Paul, the only criminal going to be beheaded. Few, if any, in the crowds would know or care anything about him. At a good place in the road, some miles out, the executioner stopped. The block was laid down. Paul laid his head on it, and the sword or the axe was raised. The head of the greatest preacher of ages rolled to the ground. Tradition says that a Roman matron 
named Lucinia buried the body of St. Paul by her own hand beside the Ostian Road. Be that as it may, no Christian can come to Rome, especially by the Ostian Road, without tender thoughts of Paul, the matchless servant of Jesus. You know, a couple of years ago, my wife and I went to Rome, and we were able to walk this road. And uh, it's actually very interesting. We, we went to some catacombs that were about three miles outside of the city on the Ostian Way. And uh, rather than taking an Uber or a taxi cab back, we decided that we were going to walk that road. And, you know, just as you walk through it, the way the Romans did it back then is they would um, oftentimes take people and they would bury them. There was these retaining walls that were on either side of this road for miles at a time. And they would take blocks out of the retaining wall and they would place people's bodies inside of these vaults, these makeshift vaults in the road, in the, on, on the wall on the sides of the road. And somewhere along that way, the Apostle Paul um, was executed. If you ever go to Rome, I would challenge you to do that. It, it makes the Bible come alive. In 2002, there was an eight-foot marble sarcophagus, which is basically like a, 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 maybe a crypt, inscribed, found with the words inscribed, Paulo Apostolo Mart, which means Paul the Apostle the Martyr. And it was actually discovered during some excavations around a chapel that had been sprung up in the early 3rd century. And the sarcophagus that said the, said the Apostle Paul's name on it, um, they opened it up and it contained incense, purple and blue linen, and small bone fragments. And when they did some radiocarbon dating, which I know isn't the most reliable, but when they did the radiocarbon dating, it dated back to the first or the second century. So, is that the Apostle Paul's remains? We don't know, but it really doesn't matter because we serve a risen Savior, and that's the same Savior that Paul served, and Paul is not in that sarcophagus anymore. He's with the Lord, right? So to be absent from the body is to be present with him. And that's, by the way, one of the reasons why I don't think any of the shrouds that Jesus had or any of the, the pieces of the cross, they say, you know, if you've heard of the Catholic churches that'll have the pieces of the cross, I've heard some estimates that if you were to take all of the pieces of the cross, you could have dozens of crosses. That's just the amount of wood that exists in all of these relic sites all around the world. But was it Paul's remains? We don't know. But that is a little bit of background, kind of giving us um, some um, insight into what was going on right around the time that this book was penned. And so, without further ado, let's jump into our study of this book together. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. The first thing I want you to notice is the first part of that verse. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. What is Paul saying there as he begins his letter? Well, obviously, if you know the Bible, you know that people would begin their letters as they wrote on scrolls. They would begin their letter by signing their name. So you didn't have to unroll the 50 feet of scroll and see who actually wrote the letter, right? That would make sense because the way that we have it today, you can just flip to the back page or the bottom of the letter and you can see it right away. That's not the way it was back then. This would have been a significant size scroll. And so if you want to know who the author was, well, tradition back then was to put your name at the beginning of the book. So Paul reminds Timothy that I'm the author, yes, but he says, Paul, I'm an apostle. And the apostleship that Paul says that I have is based on two things. It's based on God's will and the promise of eternal life. Now, before we get into what those things mean, I want to remind you today that in 2021, there are no more apostles. If someone says, I'm an apostle, you can mark it down, they are not one. An apostle, by definition, is someone who has seen the risen Christ face to face. Say, 
well, Paul wasn't one of the original 12 disciples, so how could Paul say that he was an apostle, right? You have the apostle Peter, the apostle James, Matthew, all the original disciples were apostles, but not Paul, he wasn't a disciple. So how is Paul an apostle? Well, very simply, the Bible tells us in the book of Acts that God called Paul on the Damascus Road. He had an encounter with the God of the Bible, the God of the universe, that radically changed his life. You remember that story, right? Paul was going to kill Christians. He met Jesus, and his life changed. Instead of killing Christians, he became one of them, and he became the greatest advocate, the greatest preacher for Christianity when he met God on the Damascus Road. He also went out into the wilderness, and for about three years, we believe, he spent time with what we call God in the, uh, in the Arabian Bible Institute, and where Jesus himself taught Paul the things that he was going to need for the book of Romans and for all the amazing epistles that we have, the letters written by the Apostle Paul. So Paul saw God, the risen Savior, but not in the sense the disciples did, but he was still an apostle of Jesus Christ. So Paul says, number one, I'm an apostle by God's will. God was the one who chose Paul and sent him out. Number two, I'm an apostle because of the promise of eternal life. Eternal life, ladies and gentlemen, is found only in one person. His name is Jesus Christ. There are people around you today that are hoping that when they die, that they will either fade into oblivion or that their good works will outweigh their bad works or somehow, some way, they're going to be able to have eternal life, everlasting life. There's only one way. 1 John chapter 5, verse number 5, verse number 12 says, He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath the Son, not the Son of God, hath not life. Can it get any clearer than that? I, I'd like every person here today to look at that verse and ask yourself the question, do I have the Son? Is the Son of God in me? Because if you do not have the Son, then you do not have eternal life. Paul's life, he says to Timothy, my mission in life is to lead people into eternal life, to introduce them to Jesus Christ, to lead them to the promise of life. I want you to notice verse number two. Paul, the author, says to Timothy, the audience here, the one that he was writing this letter to, my dearly beloved son. Now, we don't believe Paul was married, so this wasn't Timothy, his biological son, but this was his son in the faith. So, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, can we say, in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Christ Jesus, our Lord. In 1 Timothy, Paul explains how he's the spiritual father to Timothy. I want you to notice in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 3, I thank God, whom I serve for my forefathers with a pure conscience without ceasing. I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day greatly desiring to see thee, this is his love that he has for his son, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. In other words, Paul's saying, Timothy, I know that you are crying, that you have tears, there's sorrow in your heart because you know that I've been arrested, and I'm probably never going to see you again, or I'll never be able to preach the gospel again. Timothy obviously loved Paul with all of his heart, and as a father to him, a father figure, Timothy was worried, obviously, that his dad, spiritual dad, was going to be executed. He says there, I have remembrance of thee in my prayers. Now, Paul, we know historically, Paul was from the tribe of Benjamin. The Bible tells us that. Paul wrote that in the book of Galatians, that he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, of the tribe of Benjamin. And he was very, he's using, in verse number three, when it says, 
that I remember, I have remembrance of thee in my prayers. He's using what we would say would be Levitical language. And so he's, he's taking the words that were used in the Old Testament of the, of the Jewish priests. And he says, I am praying for you like the priest would pray for the nation of Israel. It's the same type of language, imagery. He says, I, 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 ser- I thank God whom I serve. Notice that there. The word there in the Greek for serve is to render religious service or homage to worship, to perform sacred services. So Paul is saying, I recognize the duty that I am doing to God. I recognize that I am, verse number three, I am serving God, and and I know I'm doing something special for him. The word serve there is not an idea of what a slave would do for his master, but this is the type of serving that a priest would do in worship to God. He serves God in a manner that a priest would serve the God of the Bible. And he says, verse number three, that I serve from my forefathers with a pure conscience. Again, this is Levitical words here because the word pure there, it means pure or clean in a a Levitical sense, free from corrupt desire, from sin, from guilt. So what Paul is saying is, I am serving God as like a high priest would in the temple with a clean conscience. That's something that a priest had to keep up with. Ladies and gentlemen, you and I as priests and kings with God, that's what the Bible describes us in the book of Hebrews, we have a responsibility to make sure that we keep a clean conscience before God. If you're like me, sometimes we can go for a day or two or three or even a week, sometimes even longer than that, of allowing the filth and the the disgustingness of this world to build up in our hearts and our souls. And what we need is what we read in that passage of Scripture from Psalm 51 this morning. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right, a pure spirit, a pure heart within me. Paul says in verse number three, I thank God whom I serve like a Levite from my forefathers with a clean conscience that without ceasing I have me, I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. That, that phrase there, I have remembrance of thee, literally means I have you on my mind. Now, about a month or so ago, I explained to our church family, I can't remember when it was, but I, I talked to you about how the Levites, they would take the names of the 12 tribes of Israel and they would wear it on their garments. And so they would have a rock or a, a gemstone for each of the tribes of Israel and they would wear it and ornately. And it was a symbol that they would carry around the weight of the nation of Israel. And like Paul, he was a descendant of the tribe of Benjamin. He was not a Levite. He was not one of the priestly tribes. And yet, like Paul, we are not descendants of Aaron or the Levites. Unless you have, like, the last name Cohen, you may be, if that's your last name, then you may be directly related to the priest. But I think most of us probably are not Levites here in this room. But we certainly can learn lessons about life and ministry and prayer from the Old Testament principles. So one of the things that drives me nuts about the modern church movement, some of the preachers that are out there, um, and a large mega church in Atlanta, Georgia, for example, I won't say the name of the pastor, but he likes to divorce the Old Testament from the New Testament. You can't do that. You have to look at the Bible in its entirety, like we're doing in the book of Daniel. You, you have to see what the Bible says. And the Apostle Paul is pulling in a lot of Levitical language here. He's saying this is the same way. The same way the priest would worship God is the same way that I worship God. The same way the priest would pray for Israel is the same way, Timothy, that I would pray for you. And Paul says in verse number four, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, 
that I may be filled with joy. Being mindful of thy tears, I kind of already explained that, but it's, it's the same phrase, being mindful, it's to put to mind that we saw remembrance. It's to recall or to return to one's mind, to be mindful. And so Paul says, I know your tears, Timothy. You understand that I'm going to be going to the executioner very soon. And yet Paul says, Timothy, when I remember you, verse number five, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. See what the Apostle Paul was saying about Timothy? He's saying, look, I know you're a Christian, and I know you're my son in the faith, but one of the reasons that you have this unfeigned, this true, genuine faith, is because your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice invested in your life. Now, I love verse number five, and it has a personal application to me because my grandmother's name was Lois. <laughs> and uh, grandmother Lois, I love my, she was the greatest Sunday school teacher ever. She got saved when she was in her mid-30s, and when grandma and grandpa trusted Christ as their savior, they got on fire for God. I, I wish you could have met my grandfather. Back in the, he died in 2008, and I told, I called him up, and I told him that we were going to be starting a church, and he was praying for our first service, and shortly thereafter, he died. But he was a man of God, and my grandmother Lois, they prayed for us. She died shortly thereafter and prayed for us till the day that she died. Very much the same. Uh, my mom's name was not Eunice, though, so I can't say that. But I love the fact that Paul had a godly heritage. His mother and his grandmother, it doesn't say anything about his dad, which, by the way, if you are in a situation as a single mom or you're a grandma raising your kids, there's hope for your children and your grandchildren. You be faithful. Timothy, we believe, historical church tradition, Timothy's dad was an agnostic a Greek guy. He just was one of the regular guys. He had no faith whatsoever. And yet, in spite of all of that, in spite of growing up in a very difficult home that was probably hostile to the gospel, we can only imagine, Timothy trusted God as his Savior. And on his first missionary journey, the Bible tells us that Lois and Eunice trusted Christ as their Savior. We believe that's when they got saved. When Paul and, and, and Barnabas traveled to the city of Lystra after they were run out of the town of Iconium, there in the book of Acts chapter 14, we see that they moved on to the city of Derby. Acts 14, 21, it says, When they preached the gospel of that city, they had taught many. They returned again to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch. And it was while Paul was in the area of Derby and Lystra that Timothy's mother and grandmother apparently became believers in Jesus Christ. And yet it's not until Paul made a second missionary journey through that region that he met Timothy. Well, in Acts chapter 16, verse number 1, it says, And he came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman which was a Jewish and believed, but his father was a Greek, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. So Timothy evidently had been brought to faith by his grandparents or someone in that local church had led him to Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul meets Timothy here on this trip, the second journey through, and he was discipled and brought up in the faith by a mom and a grandma who loved Jesus with all of their heart. I think that's a challenge to everyone here today that has children. Look, your kids are going to grow up and they will be exposed to the filth of this world where are they going to be exposed to the truth of the Bible? You bring them to church on Sunday morning, that's good. I'm glad you do, right? We're going to do our best to teach our children the Word of God and hopefully teach them the truths in Awana on Sunday evening. But listen, it's more than that. 
It's every day sitting down, dad and mom, and teaching your children the word of God. Growing up, every single night, when we would have, after dinner was over, my dad would get out his Bible or children's Bible, and we would read through a little kid's book, a little Bible story book, and we would memorize a verse, and we would work on a different verse every week and read a different Bible story every week, and then we would get on our knees and we would pray together as a family. We do a little different version of that now with my kids, especially because they're a little bit older now. But we try to hide God's word in our heart and make that a priority in our home. And the Apostle Paul says that, Timothy, is where you got your start. You're a young man in the faith. He would later go on to say, let no man despise thy youth, but be an example of the believers. He was definitely, it was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Timothy, as a young man, had an excellent reputation of being someone that was true in the faith. And so the application for our church family here this morning is this. Have real faith. Paul had seen the real deal in Timothy's mom and grandma, and he sees it unfeigned faith in Timothy as well. Ladies and gentlemen, you and I, we are saved from hell when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. I love John 3.16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, some of you, as soon as I started quoting that verse, you may have said, oh, I've heard that a thousand times, and maybe just turned off your listening ears for a moment. But that ought to be the most precious verse in the Bible to you and I. God so loved you and me, even though we were sinners, that he sent his son to die on the cross for our sin, so that way we don't have to go to hell, but we can go to heaven for all of eternity. Now, some people don't mind fake things. I, for one, when it comes to, you know, I don't mind doing store brand if it's going to save me money, right? If I can save a little bit of money here and there by getting store brand, I don't mind the knockoff version from the dollar store, so to speak. Can, can you tell the difference between the Rolex here? I, I thought this was very interesting. I was looking at this for a long time, and I, I guess there are some internal damages that are there, but if you are the internal differences that are inside of the Rolex, but it's very difficult to spot a difference between the $200 version that you can buy on the side of the road in Washington, D.C. when the guys open up their suitcase, or in New York City, you know what I'm talking about, or the real $10,000 Rolex. Some people are here today, and I'd hate to say it, but I guess based upon numbers, the, the crowd that is here, there are probably some, some folks that have, an un, have a fake faith, not a real faith. It's hard to spot the difference when it comes to faith, especially if you're in church for a while and you've been around the block and you can talk the talk and you can quote John 3.16 and you can, like the best of them, sing the songs when we're supposed to sing. Phil says, stand, we stand, right? And we do what we're supposed to do on Sunday morning. Do you have real faith or do you have faith or fake faith? My challenge to you is if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, please understand you do not have eternal life. In order to have eternal life, Jesus Christ must be in you. I'm not sure that I can always tell people's faith apart. And phony faith is when you try to impress a person by pretending to trust in the Lord. You go through the motions, and people like that are constantly playing games and pretending to be someone that they are not. But, but they, are tr they truly don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. What is real faith? Real faith is when a person comes to a place where they must truly trust that God is going to help them in their life. They worship God because they love God. They sing songs because they want to sing songs. They don't play games with God. Where are you at this morning? Are you the real deal or are you fake? Look at verse number six. Paul says, wherefore, I put thee in remembrance. Hopefully by now that phrase, 
Put thee into remembrance is uh, familiar to you because Paul's used it now a third time. I put thee into remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. Now this is a verse that some people find to be kind of controversial within the realm of Christianity. I'm going to explain it to you the best that I can. Um, we've already talked about the word remembrance. It means to remind, to remember. And there's a connection there between verses 3 and 6 that you see in the Greek that you don't necessarily see in the English. Up to this point, Paul has been talking about his own memories. How without ceasing, I remember, I remember you. I am mindful of your tears in verse number 4. Verse number 5, I call to faith your un. I call to remembrance your unfeigned faith. Now, in verse number 6, Paul tells Timothy to do his part to remember what God has given to him. When I look at verse number 6, Paul says, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of thy hands. My challenge to you today, Faithway family, is sometimes you and I can get sidetracked by seeking new things from God. We want to get this new revelation, or we think we go to a new church, or we try this new devotional book, or we do this, we shake it up that somehow we're going to get you know, a fresh zeal for God. And what Paul is saying is, Timothy, sometimes you just got to go back and you got to remember what I've done for you in the past. That's the reason why we wanted to sing that song this morning, Count Your Blessings, Name Them One by One. That, that verse that says, So amid the conflict, whether great or small, do not be discouraged, God is over all. What's the solution? Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Don't forget, Paul says to Timothy, don't forget what I have taught you. Don't forget the gift of God that is in you. Over and over again in the Old Testament, the Israelites were commanded to do certain things to remember what God had done. Remember God said, I want you to build an altar over here when you cross over the, dead, uh, over the Jordan River. I want you to build an altar there, build an altar here. Come to Jerusalem for these feasts. I want you to do these sacrifices. I want you on the Sabbath day to make sure you honor me. Remember, remember, remember. They, they, they sang songs in the book of Psalms. We see some songs that were written by Moses as they came out of the, out of the wilderness. They sang songs to remember the Exodus. They celebrated the Passover to remember God's deliverance. They built the memorials. And many, many times in the Old Testament, God says to the children of Israel, remember me. Now, what does Jesus tell the church to do in remembrance of him? Remember? 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This do ye in remembrance of me. In a few weeks, we're going to have the Lord's Supper, and we gather together as a church family. Our entire service is geared towards doing what Jesus said to do. Remember me. So church family, can I encourage you this morning to remember Jesus Christ? Now, I want you to notice that phrase that is there in verse number six. It says, by the putting on of hands. Paul is reminding Timothy of a special gift. The word gift is charisma, all right? And so it's the, something that God has given to you. And it says that, that, that he received it when Paul laid his hands on Timothy. Now, someone says, is that's something that we can do today. Can, can I just, like you probably have seen Benny Hinn and people on TVN and different things like that. They walk around and they call you up to the front and they lay hands on you and you start shaking in the spirit and you do all these crazy things. Can we do that today? The answer is no. That's not the way that God operates today. We, we know from 1 Corinthians, the way that God bestows gifts to Christians, and we could talk about this for a long time about spiritual gifts, but the moment you were saved, God gave you the Holy Spirit. 
And the Holy Spirit inside of you will work with your personality, he will work with who you are, and he will endow you with certain spiritual gifts to use in the body of Christ. And we could talk about that a lot later on. But what Paul is saying is, look, when I came to you, Timothy, I taught you, I discipled you, I laid hands on you, I prayed with you, the gift that was inside of you. It says there that thou stir up. The word stir up there means to, to kindle up, to inflame one's mind, strength, zeal. If you are um, able to go work out and you go to the gym, and you don't just go once a week and then quit. But if you were willing to go to the gym four times a week, every single or every other day, and eat right and exercise and do the things you're supposed to do in, in conjunction with working out, you know what you would notice? Those muscles that have atrophied, that have disappeared, they're still there. They're just a whole lot smart, smaller right now. But when you start working out and exercising, they, you might st start seeing a bulge, you know, coming out when you flex your arms, guys. They actually might come out if you would get out of bed early in the morning and go to the gym and start working out. That's the idea here of stirring up. It's something that is sleeping inside of you right now. Stir it up. Work it out. And that's what Paul says to Timothy here. you got to start by working out and doing what I've called you to do, but you just need to start. you got to stir it up. Some people will need further equipping for the ministry, and that's why Bible colleges exist, and that's why we have you know, seminaries and things like that. But Paul says, Timothy, you got everything that you need for ministry. And so let's stir it up. Let's not get caught up in the mundane. I want you to remember, son, that even though you're crying because I'm going to be going to the executioner here soon, and even though I will no longer be able to come to Iconium and preach at your church, I still believe that you have everything inside of you given to you by God to be able to be a faithful pastor for this church. And that's what Paul says in verse number 7. That's the context because people will take verse 7 completely out and they will just quote it as a standalone verse. But you've got to understand, Paul is saying, Timothy, I know you're crying right now because you're going to be losing me. And I want to remind you that even though I will not be here, you have everything given to you by God to be successful in the ministry that I've called you to. Therefore, Timothy, I remind you that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God has not given us the spirit of fear. The word spirit there is the word pneuma. It's, it's breath. It's the Holy Spirit it's, it's the human spirit, it's the attitude, the, it's the influence, the disposition that fills and governs the soul of any one person. Now, I've read a few commentators on this. I actually read, there's about 12 or 13 commentators that I've purchased and I've been going through for 2 Timothy and just studying on this. And one of the, actually two or three of them that, I'm, that I've read suggest that Paul is talking here in verse number 7 about some sort of demonic spirit. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear. Um, some of our Pentecostal friends will take this verse and they will use this as a way to cast out the, the spirit of fear, the demon of fear in people. Well, the word spirit can indeed be used to describe a demonic meaning, or a being rather. But the meaning here, the context is very clear. Paul is talking about human emotions. He says, verse number four, Timothy, you're crying, right? You're going through a very a process of grieving, knowing you're going to lose me. And, and yet you have everything you need inside of me. And so in, that's why context is key when you study the Bible. What is this verse talking about? He says, fear 
power, love, sound mind, they are all on the same plane. And these, if you look at power and love and the sound mind, those are not spiritual entities. Those are human emotions. And so when you have the spirit of fear, love, power, sound mind, they are all one. Paul's talking about the same thing, human emotions. There's another passage that's also impacted by how you view the word spirit. And this is what our Pentecostal friends will run to as well. And I want to point this out to you because I want you to understand if someone comes to you and says, I want to cast out the demon of fear, the spirit of fear inside of you, it's not biblical. It, Luke chapter 13 is another place that they will go. So they'll cross-reference Luke 13 with first, or 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 7. And Jesus, there tells, the Bible tells us, Behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity. The word there, spirit of infirmity, is a, a weakness. Eighteen years, and was bowed together, and could in no wise lift up herself. And when Jesus saw her, he said, woman, uh, called unto her and said unto her, Woman, thou art loose from thine infirmity. And he laid his hand on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Now, it may be that this woman had a demonic spirit that made her sick. Demons can indeed be behind diseases. And yet, if you'll notice in the text here, Jesus doesn't rebuke the demon um, to uh, rebuke a demon to heal the woman. He releases her from her weakness. This lady had been consumed with this attitude of weakness. Like the man at the pool of Bethesda, Jesus went to him and said, Do you want to be healed? And he said, Yes, I desire to be healed. And so I think that's what Paul is talking about. I realize our time is almost gone this morning, but I want you to notice this. Paul, I believe, is talking about the human attitude of fear. This is not something that comes from God. This is the fear that Paul is talking about is something that comes not from the Lord, but from Satan. It keeps us from doing the right things. And so, Faithway family, I, what we need as a church is the opposite of fear. We need courage, right? We need that in our lives. Perhaps Timothy was having a problem with being a little too timid. I don't know. Perhaps he was emotional, and he says, Paul's saying, look, you got to get over it, buddy. I'm going to die, but you're going to move on. And so, so we know that, that Timothy took this verse to heart because according to Fox's Book of Martyrs, some 35 years after Paul wrote this letter, Timothy was still the pastor at Ephesus. Um, he wrote this, Fox's Book of Martyrs said that Tim Timothy was the celebrated pastor, or the, the disciple of the Apostle Paul, the pastor of Ephesus, where he zealously governed, or he pastored in the church until AD 97. So this was written in 66 till AD 97. At this period, as the pagans were about to celebrate a feast called Catagonian, Catagonian, Timothy, meeting the procession or meeting the parade, severely reproved them for their ridiculous idolatry, which so exasperated the people that they fell upon him with their clubs and beat him in a dreadful manner that he died of the bruises two days later. Paul said, Timothy... God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Do you think Timothy learned his lesson? Do you think he took the words of the Apostle Paul to heart? Absolutely he did. The word there for power in the Greek is dunamis. It's where we get our word dynamite from. The Greek word for love there is agape. It's the love that, that, that we ought to have, the benevolent love. Sound mind means to have self-control and moderation. Some other places you see it translated as sober. And so, Timothy, God will give you the strength you need to keep your emotions in check as you go through life. Listen, the, the question that we often will have as Christians when we go through the valleys of the shadow of death 
is how will I be able to keep going on? When I'm frustrated, when I'm anxious about tomorrow, when I feel physically spent like I cannot take one more step, how will I be able to keep going? The answer is, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. God will give you the strength that you need to keep going. You and I just need to ask. And that's what we often have to do, is just say, Lord, right now I can't take another step, but you can help me. In Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, you remember what Paul, or sorry, Jesus told the disciples? But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses to me both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. A personal relationship with Jesus gives us the love, the self-control that we need to be ministering to people around us. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. I'd like to close with a story that I read this past week. There was an uneducated miner in Scotland who began to preach amongst his fellow workmen with great power. Some of his witnesses, or, uh, some, soon rather, his witness took him far beyond the confines of the mining towns. Someone asked him, how he received his call to preach the, the gospel. He replied thus, Oh, I had such a burden on my soul for those who did not know the gospel. I argued with the Lord that I had no education and no gift. But he said to me, Jamie, you know the sicknesses, what the sickness is, don't you? I answered, Yes, Lord, the sickness is sin. He said, And you know what the remedy is, don't you, Jamie? I answered, Yes, Lord, the remedy is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, Jamie, just take the remedy to those who are sick. And he said, that is my call to preach. Faithway family, that is God's call to every believer here this morning. Take the remedy to those that are sick. Some people may scoff at the remedy. You may sit down and have lunch with a friend of yours that you've been friends with for many, many years. And you may start talking about the Lord, and he may reject it outright, but you've done your part to give him the remedy. Be faithful. Be faithful. God has not given you the spirit of fear, but of power and love and sound mind. We have the remedy. It's in the Bible. Take that remedy to a lost and dying world this week. Father, I thank you for this passage of Scripture. And there was a young man who was struggling with his emotions, he was going to be losing someone that he loved dearly in the near future, and he knew it. And yet, in spite of all of that, Paul writes to him to remind him that everything that he needed to be able to be faithful to the call of God was inside of him. Lord, I believe that to be true for every Christian here this morning. If we truly know you, our spirit, the Holy Spirit, will give us the strength, will give us the wisdom, will give us the words to say to present the cure to someone who does not know Jesus. Lord, I pray this week that we would have courage and strength. And then, Lord, if there is someone here today who has not the Son, they've never received you as their personal Savior, Lord, convict their hearts this morning. I pray that that person would humble themselves before you and bow the knee and realize that you died on the cross for their sin. And would ask you today to save them and give them a home in heaven for all of eternity. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, Christian, can I ask you a question? Do you have the spirit of fear when it comes to sharing the gospel? Do your emotions rule your life? 
That's not the way that God intends for the Christian to live. Even keeled, preaching the truth. Maybe that gift inside of you needs to be stirred up a little bit. A personal relationship with Jesus into his presence is what every single one of us needs today. If you don't know the Lord, if you're not a Christian, today call upon him. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Please, Christian, if you're not saved, trust him today. My friend, I don't know how the Holy Spirit has moved in your life today, but if he has, as the piano plays, just take a few minutes and talk to God. Respond to his word, to his Holy Spirit today. pray that this week we would take that verse and hide that in our hearts. Give us opportunities, Lord, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And I ask you that we would make a difference in the light of eternity this coming week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hi, Pastor Barney Schwenke here with you again. Thank you so much for watching uh, the video today and taking time out of your schedule to listen to the Word of God being taught. My prayer is that this message will truly help you in your walk with the Lord. I tell our church family all the time, God's will for your life is a daily walk with Him. So if you have a Bible, make sure you read it. If you don't have a Bible, reach out to us here on our website and uh, we will make sure we send one to you. We want to do everything we can to help you grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. If you found the message today to be a blessing and you have the means financially to be able to help us, we definitely would encourage you to do so. It costs money to be able to produce these videos and to be able to put these out there on the internet for you. You can go to our website, faithwaybaptistchurch.com, and in the upper right-hand corner, you can click the word give, and uh, there you can make a donation to the media ministry of our church if you so choose. But hey, we do this for you. We want to be a blessing. And so thank you again for joining us today. Like we said, if there's any way we could be a help or a blessing to you or your family, the contact information is there on our website. Please let us know. We'd love to be able to help you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Have a great day.